winning 90% of your new business because you have some sort of incredible value. I'm gonna take a bit of a different angle. You know, we got a budget this big. I'm gonna give it to you because you have a, a really killer plan. You give a Red Bull to a turtle, what do you expect? I think that's a dead turtle. <laughs> so let's move on to... Uh, e break. Cheers. 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 Does your current premium finance company lock you into long-term agreements? That's because they don't want you talking to us. At IFS, we win your business the good old-fashioned way, with customer service. I know you don't always have to use a premium finance company, but when you do, you should use IFS. Cheers. Hi there, and welcome to another episode of the Digital Insurance Point Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Reed. And I'm joined by, as always, by my co-hosts, Steve Earle, President of Cheap Insurance, Adam Mitchell, President of Mitchell & Whale. Hello. Jeff Roy, President of Excalibur Insurance. And today, we are pleased to be joined uh, by Jay Laba. He is the President and CEO of IFS. So uh, so thanks, thanks, Jay, for joining. And uh, I'm going to get you uh, to right away jump into giving us a background on yourself, uh, you know, bring our viewers up to speed on what's been going on with you in the last, uh, I'm going to guess, 45 years or so. Uh, thanks a lot. Very polite. 45 years, I wish. Uh, anyway, uh, Jay Lava, uh, I'm the president of IFS. Um, a little bit of my background from an insurance perspective. I uh, started insurance back in 04, uh, so I've been in the circuit a little while. Uh, worked at RSA, started off as an underwriting manager, moved on to uh, running a national team called the CSC. Uh, that was responsible for the servicing facility association and also uh, uh, personal lines business for Canada. Uh, then jumped into the broker side, um, moved into a regional company in Nova Scotia, and then eventually joined by an acquisition and a, and a merger, uh, Arthur J. Gallagher. I uh, did that for a little while. And then after that, moved into my current role, uh, which is obviously the president of IFS. Um, from a premium finance perspective, uh, who's IFS, what is the background, they've been in the, we've been in the industry for over 40 years, um, started off as a small regional company, um, did an acquisition out west, uh, which started our footprint moving and then uh, became a, a national um, premium finance company. Uh, we were fairly small, not not that big going in and then um, started to, to ramp things up and grow. Um, one of the key objectives was from, my, from when I took it over is to try to to grow the business and, and make sure that we're uh, uh, first and foremost putting the customer first and making sure as we grow we're being responsible to the customers both yours and and, and in, in retrospect when you look back at what we do it's yours are ours and ours are yours so we're always trying to make sure we put that in the forefront of what we do. Uh, IFS is in fact our title sponsor so it's thanks to Jay that uh, everybody is actually seeing this podcast and that we're able to actually provide uh, some cash support to uh, to Wick, our charity sponsor, and and the budget to bleep Steve. Bleep Steve. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> so Jeff, I'm going to pass over to you so you can do a little bit more drilling into uh, 
with the Jay's background with your rapid fire questions. Yeah, awesome. Thanks, Jay. And uh, we got a big shout out to Garrison Beer. Hopefully, Jay gets some shipped to him sometime soon. Ace, eh, <laughs> oh, oh, he's got one. There we go. Yeah, I'm ready. Jay, our listeners are always going to get to know, know our guests a little bit better. So let's uh, open up the hood and learn more about you. So, uh, who's your favorite Canadian band or musician? Well, I, I'd have to say Brian Adams for sure is my favorite Canadian artist. But I always throw out a, uh, a little shout out to Sarah McLaughlin because she's from Halifax. Uh, if you could watch any band, any time in history, at any location, who would you pick? Elton John Wembley. You got tickets for his farewell tour? I have, I have September. I have February. Like at August in Chicago. Steve, you and I better get, a, get tickets. We feel left out here. Jay, are you a beer, wine, whiskey, or all the above kind of guy? Y- yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> depends on the depends on the weather. Hot weather is beer, and when it gets a little cooler, you start to you know have a whiskey. Minus eighteen today in Ontario, so definitely a good whiskey day. What's your whiskey of choice? Uh, well, depends. I'm I'm a I'm a I'm a Glenlivet guy, from a from a drink perspective. But uh, I'll, I'll drink anything that's uh i like anything that tastes good and that's on the rocks don't add stuff to it you just ruin it what is your uh when you're not playing uh changing the world with finance and and payment plans what's your favorite sports or what do you do with all your free time well free time is uh hanging out with the family and from a sports perspective uh i'm a i'm a big baseball i like playing baseball and basketball i'm in some uh senior leagues so i'm in the uh, halifax grand masters league for basketball and i play in a a uh, over 45s uh, senior baseball league as well. I heard in these parts people call you the Charles Barkley of the uh, the over 45 league. Is that true? How'd you get that name? Well, one, it's because I can't make a shot. And so what I do to pad my stats is every time I make a shot, I just go inside and make sure I get the rebound. So I'm like three for three, one for three, but I got three rebounds. So, you know, the stats look really good at the end of the, end of the night. When COVID's over and uh, we thought, and maybe you got away on a trip, but uh, we were into, I don't know, is it wave number five now? Uh, what's the one place you want to travel to outside of Canada when uh, this COVID's behind you? Oh, I'm going to Mount Everest to go to base camp. Oh, wow. Been trying to do it for two years now. We had it booked and COVID hit and then I pushed it and COVID kept pushing it and kept pushing it. So, uh, we're going to try to do it again in the fall. All right, pass it back to you, Tom. That's uh, Jay answered all the questions pretty well. I didn't want to take out hog the whole show. One of our previously aired episodes was about uh, facility, and you mentioned that you used to be in charge of facility. So I don't know if you saw that facility episode, but it was um, one of the uh, more emotionally charged episodes, I would say, a lot of uh, angst in the broker world around FA. So what What's changed in FA since you were there? Like, what's led? Give us some of the background on FA. What's what's led from where you were, whenever that was, to now, where things don't seem to be going that well for brokers. So while I was managing FA, and I was as a service carrier manager for RSA, uh, it was under my guidance and leadership for about seven years. And one of the things that we did, and I mentioned it earlier, is, is we always put the customer first and tried to provide a real good service proposition for the brokers and the customers, which meant getting things back on a timely fashion. Um, making sure that the clients knew what their premiums were going to be in, in a relatively quick uh, fashion as well. And so I find right now what's what's tough and what's what's hard to watch is, you know, from a premium finance company, I see it because we're waiting to find out what the premiums are going to be. And, it, and it's always tough when you're waiting for, you know, 60 or 90 days to even know what the proper premiums are. Um, so it's, it's a very different model. Uh, when I was doing it, we, I was in uh, early days when it was during the Depop. And so we were trying to manage that as well as keeping the service up. Um, but like I said, I, I just find it very, um, the, the service levels are very strained right now. And, and when you're going to move to a, a more uh, unilateral service provider, it's going to be tough to, 
to keep that in check going forward. So we don't like the term monopoly, but that's essentially where we are at this point, right? All right, I'm going to ask uh, <clears throat> one more quick question. What's pissing you off in the industry today? IFA stands for facility, not F all, right? I'll tr try to keep it a little cleaner than that. I don't tend to get pissed off, but one of the things that is, is, is tough, and, it, and we've talked, touch it's COVID. I mean, it's the world of how it impacts insurance overall and, and how we're trying to manage our way through it. Uh, we're like everybody else, uh, started off with a two week project that was COVID and thought, you know, we'll get through the next, next couple of weeks and then figure out what it's going to look like. And here we are coming on two years later and, and still trying to manage it. So, uh, is, is there anything in the insurance world pissing me off? Uh, always. Um, but the biggest issue that I see right now, or that we're trying to deal with right now is, is just keeping everything at bay when you're trying to figure out how can you best help people when they're trying to deal with a situation where they may be out of work or not able to pay their bill because of something that's outside of their control. Let's, let's get into some stuff that's you know right in your wheelhouse here. And also in the wheelhouse for my three colleagues on the line here is um, sort of you know, pros and cons, differences between premium finance versus direct bill. So maybe before we uh, <clears throat> get into some of the back and forth here, you want to just give us a 30 seconds, Jay, on so the difference between direct bill versus premium finance? A lot of it has to do with um, who's going to be providing the service for your client. And, and with a direct bill, as we know, it's, it's not you. <laughs> and with a premium finance company, you're partnering with somebody who can, who can uh, help you manage your business in your way, uh, as opposed to somebody else's or an underwriting company's. Um, when you look at that from the perspective of, well, that's a, that's a, a nice long-winded message that doesn't really give you a whole lot, but it's simple as this. Um, you keep control of your clients. We work with you with your clients and, and keep you abreast of what's going on. Um, and then we also protect your clients from, so for example, if they have an NSF or if there's a payment issue, uh, we help protect them from getting in trouble before the underwriting company is aware of it, where when you're doing a direct bill, if they have one mistake, um, that's it. So if you had two brokers that are identical, except one is on direct bill, one's using your organization, is there an, is there, do you believe, and can you back it up? Is you know, is there a difference between that brokers between those brokers' retention? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So I'll use the example of our numbers. It's it's a simple number. We're uh, currently running at around ninety seven percent on our retention, uh, which is an extremely high retention. And, and the reason why we do that is simple. Well, if a client has a payment issue, uh, we have four points of contact. We email them, uh, we phone them. We then do a follow-up phone call, and then we help them to arrange their payment terms. And so it's it's not a one and done with us. Uh, what we do is we work with the client to make sure that we can keep their policy going. And what that does, in effect, from a broker's perspective, is you know you can move it to a different premium finance company, or you can take it off direct bill, and you can put it on a full pay. Um, but what we allow you to do is keep them on a payment plan, even though they may have a little bit of an issue. So I'm going to give the uh, first question of my panel to the broker who has the most, the highest percentage of its business uh, with a premium finance company. That's me. That's me. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, the question was pros and cons, right? That's what we're dealing with here. So I can tell you, you know, in our organization, the rule of thumb is if, if, it, if it can go agency bill finance, it does go agency bill finance because we find that, like Jay said, uh, the retention is better. Um, uh, Jay's organization has taken over those four touch points away from us. So it, it um, alleviates our staff from doing so. Um, 
they still call us. Um, but it's, it's, it adds greatly to efficiency and retention. The level of service that we get out of Jay's organization versus uh, multiple billing departments at insurance companies is, is night and day. We're just, we're just better brokers. Uh, I could go down a list of things, you know, like how many times do you rewrite a policy from one insurer to another and you need to get a new PAC sign versus just, it's already on a continuous plan. You let, uh, let Jay's company know, you let IFS know, okay, it's it switched from company A to company B and they keep trucking along. They don't have to reach out, get another void check, all this kind of nonsense. It's, it's way more efficient. Let me uh, direct a question to Adam and Jeff here. So you guys have less of your business, you know, let's say more of your business direct built through the carrier versus premium financed. Why is that? When we first started out, we weren't nearly that innovative to think about taking it over. So you just kind of went with the momentum of having it. By the time we were probably starting to get technically sophisticated enough to change our playbook and move, in, in Ontario, one of the sticks they stuck in the spoke was the, the capping on the interest rate you could charge around auto. And we had this debate on another call, but it certainly put it into a debate on, was that a fair treatment of the customer? Is, is Rebo going to enforce that? Is that a FISRA governance against the companies? We, we weren't sure. With the sheer number of transactions we had going on, it just wasn't an easy turn the switch and go for uh, a predominantly personal line shop. Um, premium finance played a, a pretty big role in the in the commercial side of it. Jeff, what's your what's your take? I would like to have control of our finance. I would like to white label it. I would like to have the four touch points that Jay offers. But it just again, some of the legislative stuff I've got to work through and figure out what we can and can't do. Haven't had time to, to during COVID to take on one more project, but we'd be very interested to look into that. And also, you know, getting more people on, on going paperless. I think when we get more of our clients on paperless, the direct bill and having control over that will be a lot easier for us because we won't have the mailing and postage costs. Uh, my understanding, Stephen, maybe you can explain, is it possible to get agency bill and have the companies mailed out? Usually it's direct bill and you have to look after the mailing. Cheap's always been 100% paperless. It's a digital brokerage. So we've never sent mail, even on agency bill. Everything has been electronic communication. They get their documents through a mobile app. Uh, at Bald, we have quite a few more and more and more all the time, excuse me, that, uh, that are going paperless. But uh, we do end up having to send a bit of mail. It's an incentive at, at my traditional shop, for sure, to get more people uh, onto the paperless. We were doing premium financing in-house, and it was growing exponentially. And we came to the conclusion we needed to decide, okay, who are we? Are we going to, you know, it, it became difficult to manage, and we were hiring people on the premium finance side. So having known Jay from the industry and being local, I, I went to Jay and I said, look, here, here's our volume. We're doing well with it. We're, we're creating margin, but I need to focus on being an insurance broker instead of in the premium finance business, but it looks like I'm, I'm in two businesses now. How can you help? So he took over the book for us and it's, it's been great. Maybe, maybe you can explain the difference between how a premium finance company service charges work versus a carrier's service charges or fees or whatever. Let me set that up a, a little bit the other way, because I, I can queue up my confusion on it, is when a customer, um, and certainly us in the junior years of brokering, were trying to uh, communicate to them on, on the company insurance company payment plans, it would illustrate your premium, 
a three percent interest charge, and and then it would get structured. And what I came to understand, and well before I understood, I, I became very confused on on this idea of of that three percent simple interest versus APR, and and why they're allowed to advertise three percent simple, and you guys aren't. I don't know that I'll ever know. Uh, that might be a good question for Fizra, but. Um, yeah, I guess that that sort of tees it up for if you can unpack for us the difference between the two. Adam, your simple brain read the wrong term because it's always it's always a service charge, not interest. And I think I'm pretty sure even on direct bill it says service charge, not interest. They don't use that term interest because three percent is a service charge. It's three percent of the entire premium, which equals an APR of nine and change. And one of the reasons you get into that and you go, why I always call it, I say it's the insurance rate because that's it's, it's under the insurance uh, act that they operate. Um, and the reason why you see APR with premium finance companies is because it's a finance contract. And, and so you go, what, what does that mean? Well, that means that we're regulated by a finance contract as opposed to an insurance contract. And a lot of times when, when as a broker, you're looking at that and you go, well, then if it's the exact same thing, why can the insur insurance company say it's three? And you got to disclose that it's it's not, and it's it's that simple. Uh, we operate under the rules of the Finance Act. Uh, the finance contract states that we must declare the APR. It's like getting a loan for your car. Uh, you know, it's a finance contract. We are just using it to pay off um, and operate in the world of insurance. And so the biggest difference between those two is is what governing body is looking at it. And so from our perspective, uh, we do disclose the APR. Uh, we also show the simple rate when we can to kind of give people, a, as a broker's perspective, we'll say it's a 3% simple, but it, and we also then disclose it's a, it, that, that equates to an APR of 995. So, Jay, just, just so I'm clear here, like I said, we're not allowed to charge any fees more than the, uh, I think it's 1.6% on an auto policy as a broker. We're not allowed to charge any fees on an auto policy as a broker, but our companies are capped on their financing. I think Adam is at 1.6%? 1.3. 3. So by, and again, a lot of companies have waived that and there's no charge on it. Uh, by being a finance company, you're allowed to charge a fee in Ontario and auto? at that point, because you're in a different legislation and you're disclosing the fee up front. That is correct. Yeah, that's what we do. Are dropped calls and poor voice quality slowing down your business communication? It's time you switch to a solution that keeps the team connected seamlessly. Introducing Lightspeed Voice, your gateway to a revolutionary VoIP system designed to elevate your business communications to the next level. With Lightspeed Voice, you get more than just a reliable connection. You get feature-rich system that adapts to your business needs, whether it's video, conferencing, virtual voicemail, or call forwarding. Lightspeed Voice, they've got you covered. They got my agency covered at the Insurance Alliance. Worried about the transition? Don't be. Lightspeed Voice offers a seamless integration, making the switch to our VoIP system a breeze. Our expert support team, that's what they're known for, is here to guide you every step of the way, ensuring a smooth and efficient transition for your business. That's right. But that's not all. Lightspeed Voice is not just a communication tool. It's a strategic investment in your business success. It is. Save on your monthly communication costs while enjoying top-notch service. It's a win-win and it is. You can put that money somewhere else. Don't let outdated communication systems hold your business back. Upgrade to Lightspeed Voice today and experience the difference. Visit our website or call now to schedule a demo 
and see firsthand how Lightspeed Voice can transform your business communications. Lightspeed Voice, where every word matters and your business is always in sync. CAS approved. So basically, what, what I'm hearing is this legislative issue actually is, is not there. Um, but there is, which, you know, so then hopefully we've addressed that confusion and the other confusion around simple versus APR, hopefully we address that as well. I can tell you that, um, the last couple of years of reading the newspapers, you know, digital newspapers, news feeds or whatever, uh, I've maybe realized that as you know, humans are terrible at math. So, uh, it does not surprise me that people cannot figure out that a 3% service charge, you know, a, isn't really a 3%, uh, isn't really 3%. So just for clarity, because I'm not in Ontario, uh, the regulator there has said you can only charge 1.6% service charge. If you're, if you're financing or servicing the balance to monthly payment, whichever way you get into it, that last, I say last, but it feels like it was that five years ago now, Jeff, they, uh, did an auto reform. Our, our friends at economical now Definity went so far as to say, well, for 1.3, let's get rid of it. They got rid of the number and just kind of include it, which then makes the calculation even harder. On top of, they said no, no direct bill, no agency bill on any personal lines. But that begs the question, like Jay, why, why would a company, Adam said it's because there's not enough meat on the bone for an insurer to say, uh, you know, we're, we're direct bill only. You got to look at what you're paying on a monthly basis compared to what you would be if it was, you know, prior to where we are now. And, and I can't speak for all the insurance companies and how they're managing it and whether, you know, somebody's absolutely absorbing it or not. I, I just don't know the answer to the question, but um, I would be willing to bet that if you look at the, the, the premiums and how they build their premiums out, that that number would be included in it. Is it is it plausible at, at 3%, which is an APR of nine, that an a, a company could have absolutely no underwriting profit, but have income from uh, their their direct bill. Yeah, uh, th th that's the reality. Investments and premium financing is a, is a way that companies make money. This is a while back when I was at what was then ING Western Union, because we had a big discussion about service fees, you know, having them, not having them, what's the impact on retention if you get rid of them, blah, blah, blah. And on a 200, say, million dollar personal lines book of business, I think the, the company was making about five mil a year, like straight profit off the uh, direct bill service fees. Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's money to be made if you, if you do it right. So the broker was not getting credit for that revenue, but the expenses associated with managing uh, that revenue went to the expense, uh, the expense ratio for CPC purposes. From a CSR's perspective, what's the absolute worst thing that hits their desk that they have to look at? It's the collection call. And that's one of the things that I always go back to when I look at, you know, being a broker and, 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 and having to dole out these, the, these calls to, that you say, hey, we, we need to make these calls for our clients. It's the work from a broker's perspective, it's the worst call that you have to make. And from a CSR's perspective, I mean, obviously there's worse calls when there's accidents or incidents, but um, from a day-to-day -day basis, having to make those phone calls is that, hey, by the way, you didn't make your payment, you got to pay us. Um, it, that's not that's not the straight line of a, of a brokerage. Brokerage are trying to, you know, be that trusted provider and, and service provider. And and I, I know from a CSR's perspective, I, trust me, I've talked to a lot of them about this, and they always say the same thing. The, the, the best thing about what you guys do is you take that 
worst case scenario off my desk. Why don't you give us a couple of those worst case scenarios? So, so the fact that I know a client by name as the president of the organization should <laughs> tell you what, <laughs> when you call somebody and talk to them by their first name and, you, and you're running a premium finance company, that, 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 that's never a good sign. Um, but I'll, I'll say this. So we do, we, we did it fine. It was, it was a tough situation. Uh, you know, it was an over a million dollar client, had a real tough time. And on a monthly basis, I was engaged. Our sales team were engaged. Our front line was engaged. And we were, we were trying to, what we tried to do was get this to the end line. And what, what we really worked, and, and we worked diligently on getting this to the end line where we would say, okay, your, your premiums are paid, you're paid in full, and we got to the end line. Um, but when you're dealing with a million dollar client and he misses one payment, and he's asking if you can forgive and move the second payment, uh, you know, that might not curl your toes, but I can tell you it curls mine. Um, so that was one of the um, toughest situations. Proud to say that at the end of the day, we actually finished the term and the client insisted on renewing with us. I think he insisted on renewing with us because I don't think anybody else would have treated him the way we did. Um, but, but that was an interesting one. And, and another one that we that we lost. Um, so we were, we were looking at the renewal and, and the broker reached out to us and said, listen, know you had a tough year last year, had some issues with the client. You know, again, we battled through and got to the end date with him. Um, got his premiums paid in full. Um, but I was determined that we were not going to renew that policy. And, and this is where I'll speak proudly of my team. Um, so we do a bi-weekly CSR call where we get together. Uh, this all started because of COVID. And so what we do is a touch point twice a week to make sure that we're all on the same page and that we're, you know, keeping each other informed of what's going on. Um, at each of our desks, whether they're remote or in the office. And so it, it came up and I just mentioned the account and I said, you know, we're, we're not going to renew it. Here's why. And three of our CSRs said, listen, um, we've worked with this client. We want you to renew it. We know it's a big risk, um, but we're going to stand up and say, do it. And, and I, I reluctantly, with all my gut and all my heart and instinct, said, uh, all right, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust you guys and do it. Now, the policy didn't go to full term. It, it ended up being canceled. Um, but we canceled it without a loss because we worked with the client and made sure we broke even. Uh, we didn't put them in a situation where they had to suffer and, and pay anything extra. But again, it was one of those stories where you go, it, it's, a, it's a tough story. But, but you know, to have, to have three people within your organization say, listen, he's trying so hard. It's COVID. There's all these extraordinary circumstances. Like, come on, let's 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 just do the right thing here, and we did. And and I still feel proud of it. I mean, I could have lost a lot of money on it, and we worked with the client. Not you know, even though it was canceled, we worked to get the debt paid, um, and it could have went the other way. Um, but that was one of those stories where you're kind of again, you're 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 looking back in retrospect, going, why did I do it? And uh, I'm glad we did. I'm proud that we made that decision. I think it speaks to our experience in that the difference again between uh, a direct bill insurance company's billing department versus calling Jay's team about uh, mom or dad's policy and they're a little bit late or something's gone sideways and we need to, you know, they, they treat these people like they're their customers too. It's not just, nope, oh, this is a second time. We're not reinstating. There's none of that. They will work with both you and the customer because they want to see that these people's insurance continue. Jay, what do you, what do you wish brokers knew? My lens is a little different. So remember, I, I, I worked as a senior manager on, on an underwriting side. 
I, I worked as a, a national manager on a broker side, and now I sit as a third party looking in. But the one thing, and, 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 I, and I say this, brokers own their business. And I think one of the things that, you know, it's, I struggle with is, is watching some of these, these large underwriting companies coming in and, and, you know, controlling the way that brokers are managing their books of business and, and telling them and mandating how things are going to be. It, and I'm not just talking about from a premium finance perspective, just so you get, so we're clear. I'm talking about in a general term. So I'll tell you a broker story. I was sitting in a meeting and, and I won't pick on the underwriting company, but um, there was a, a, a picture of the underwriting company. There was then a, a, a picture of the um, brokerage. And then there was a client and there was this circle of conversation that was happening. And what they said is, wouldn't it be nice to just cut out the interference. And I sat there as a, and I was a broker when I watched this presentation and, and, I, and I raised my hand and said, I'm, I'm looking at the, the map that you're drawing here and the interference seems to be me. Uh, how, how does that make sense that you want to deal more direct with the client and the, the, the interference bubble as I see it, and maybe I'm just looking at it wrong, but that's me as the broker. Um, the conversation stopped really quick and, and, and the slide got switched and, and they moved on. But I looked at that and went, you know, that was that was a, a, a few years ago, obviously, before I moved into my current role. But I looked at that and thought, wow, that's 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 a lot of um, what I would say, just disheartening visual of, of what an underwriting company was looking at from a broker's perspective. Maybe you can just give uh, us a sense of, you know, what, what what's going on, you know, 2022, beyond 2022 in general, but also... Maybe you can shape that towards what differentiates you from your competitors. We do things that are, it's not rocket science, it's simple, but we, we give clients a notification that the payments are going to come out in advance of the payments coming out. So why? Well, because it helps with retention, it helps with uh, NSS, and it gives the client an opportunity to, on a monthly basis. As long as we have their email, they'll get an email alert saying your, your, uh, your account's going to be withdrawn tomorrow. Um, so that's something that we do that's different. Um, you know, I'm not giving away the secret sauce. Obviously, anyone can do that, but we're doing it now. Uh, we're actively doing it. Um, so that's a differentiator. Um, you know, I talked about the touch points. Um, I talked about our four key touch points. Um, four really are about seven or eight by the time it's said or done. Um, we do make sure that we're giving uh, clients ample opportunity to keep their, their, their self in good status with us. And, and it proves dividends. But we also most importantly understand that um, and we operate our business that we're not trying to mandate you to use us. We're going to let our service want for people to use us. You don't require people to sign up for a three-year term to try? <laughs> no. Oh, wait, no, it's right. That was, that's my cable provider. Sorry, how, did, how does it work with you guys? One of the things that, that we do at IFS is we don't ask anyone to sign a contract. We ask you to use us. Uh, we make some commitments up front that we'll try to service your book as best we can so that you get the best service you can. And then more often than not, uh, that turns into brokers using us. Your business has grown by a factor of four in the last five years? Wow, that's amazing. That's almost out of Mitchell levels. <laughs> can't, quite, can't quite get there, but I'm trying. So, um, guys, any any questions from uh, from the panel here? What's what's the most common touch points? If you're you're renewing your contract, one of the cool things that uh, you know the contract's continuous and you get a renewal in on your uh, agency bill 
how do we how do we upload that into your system? Our process is easy. We we send out a, an alert to the broker uh, thirty days in advance of the renewal, asking them for updated information. Um, what we do on a continuous contract is we'll we'll pay the term out in ten months. We take the last two months for your beginning of your next term, and then it just rolls into the next term. If there's a a variance from what your previous premium was to your new premium. Uh, we'll just build that into the next year's term. I spent a fair chunk of my career in technology, and we were always looking at ways to have multi-year or you know uh, terms or continuous terms in the carrier system, right? And it's a major pain in the arse. I know Intact they they can do a two-year term. Bel Air I think had that ten or fifteen years ago, but it was they faked it essentially. It was just it would just force the second term, and they would throw out the uh, the second you know that that first renewal in the second term. So, uh, but this, this is a really different way to give that customer that experience. Jay said, you know, we, we send you the notice and we, we, we have to tell IFS what the chain, like the renewal was a thousand dollars or the, the premium was a thousand dollars. The renewal is going to be 1100. We don't have to do this on a policy by policy basis. I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Jay, but I think we have a weekly uh, BMS generated list of all our renewals that are agency finance, and we just upload it to them. They get the list and they go, boom, boom, okay, change all these. Here it is. The one offs are the ones that, um, you know, there's an issue with. We have just completed our, um, our Epic integration. Um, so Steve's talking about his list of the uploads. Uh, he's soon not even going to have to do that. Um, because we, Steve's team is actually helping us with some of the sandbox testing as we speak. Um, but we're getting into the final stages. And I would say uh, within the next 30 days, we'll be up and running with uh, full uh, Epic integration. So if you're on an Epic system, uh, it's even easier because when you go into your Epic system and update the premiums, uh, automatically there's a flag in the system that's going to let us know. So on a continuous contract. Jay, one question I had is in terms of your split of business, like are you doing 60 or 70% commercial? Uh, 30% personal lines, would you have a breakdown of that? Or? When I started the organization, um, and, and again, not too much of a history of IOS, but it was a, a small, uh, independently, uh, three partners, uh, Atlantic organization. Um, we were acquired by a, 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 a credit union. And because we had the backing of the credit union, um, we were able to then go after and start targeting because our, our finance restrictions became null. Um, I can write any policy to any amount, um, as long as I keep my my boss happy, uh, we're okay. But in the old days, they focused on the personal because they were so many small accounts that it would have to be death by a thousand cuts where um, I looked at it as um, the, the reality of a large loss is, is there, um, but you have to look at the overall makeup of profitability and risk profile. Let me get Jay to do our last word, unless uh, any of you guys have any more questions. What's your view on the future for, for premium financing? Um, do you think brokers will ever sort of take control of it or there will ever be a major shift into brokers offering it? There's always those who will look at it and go, um, there's a chance for me to make a dime. I'm going to try it. And, and I wish them all the luck. I'm not, uh, but when you get into what you're trying to do there, it, it is running a separate company. Uh, premium finance is a beast in and of itself. Um, I, I've taken the, the long road of the last five years of trying to figure out and learn what it is. Um, I learn every day something new um, because it, it is um, an intricate business that you have to know it's not, it's a partnership business. And so you have to know both sides of the business to make it work. 
And so from a broker's perspective, it's easy to say, you know what, what if, what if the brokers just all decided to do their own? Uh, that is an option. But I can tell you time and time again, I've seen brokers try it and then come back and say, I've had enough of that. I understand why a broker would stop doing their own premium finance program and outsource it to you. But do you see in the future a, a large shift away from the stock companies, the, the domestics, if you will? I, I, could, I couldn't answer the question, to be honest with you, with, with any kind of intelligent answer, because the, the right answer is I don't know. Um, and so, because the right answer is, I'll never say what I don't know the right answer to. But I do think that a lot of when you look at it from the perspective of, can I control my book of business more? Um, is there a way for me to take more control of it by doing more uh, stuff myself and partnering with those who give me more control? I think the answer is yes. Um, but um, a lot of times what happens is, is, you know, our business is also grown in the non-domestic space from a commercial perspective in particular. Uh, not not as much from personalized, but from a commercial perspective, um, you know, it's the MGAs and those are the areas that that don't have premium finance companies um, that that really tend to gravitate towards um, what we can do to help. One of the things too, I guess, from starting a brokerage, again, the brokers trying to do it themselves is the capital, right? Like if you had to finance $10 million of premium, you need a good chunk of money in there. Like a lot of brokers, they want to all of a sudden turn on and finance it. They would need a lot of money to get it off the ground, which is very inhibiting from a cash flow perspective for a number of them just getting it off the ground. One of our, our major acquisitions was a premium finance company that was being managed by an MGA. Um, and, and they ran into exactly that. They said, listen, we, we're just, we're taking money that we could be spending to grow our business. And we could be moving forward with, with our, with our MGA business. Uh, but instead we've got our money diverted over here because we have to have so much capital in order to keep this premium financing going. Um, but if we give it to you and you manage that, we can take that, that capital that, that we're now using somewhere else and focus on growing our core business. And, and and that's what they did, and, and it's been very successful for them. It's given them an opportunity to you know take different marketing approaches and all kinds of other ways to to spend the money and, and get a better return on their investment. What's the rule of thumb, Jay? Like uh, like Jeff said, ten million dollars. Uh, is it like about forty percent of the premium is on the street at any given time? So if you wanted a premium finance, ten million bucks, you about four hundred grand of it would be out there. Yeah, it's around a. 4555 4852 split. So, so Jay, um, why don't you take us to uh, the end of the show here? Just uh, every, well, not every guest, we don't, some guests we don't like, but all the guests we like get the opportunity to sort of close out the show, spend uh, 60 seconds, two minutes, whatever, whatever you need. Just talk about, talk about IFS, talk about the business, talk about whatever you want kind of wrap up the whole uh, the whole podcast for us first of all i'd like to say thanks for including me uh, i know you guys mentioned earlier that we're the you know premier sponsor of, of this podcast but um i was more than thrilled to be a part of it um i'm a little concerned with bookending myself on the commercials so this <laughs> might get a little weird because you're going to be the clothes and then it's going to jump into my commercial so um Hi to me in a second. Um, but yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm happy to be a part of it. I think what you guys do is phenomenal. And um, what I'd like to just reach out to anybody out there that's a broker, um, if, you've, if you've heard what I've talked about and, and you value the service that we can provide for your customers, as mentioned earlier, um, we're not going to press you into anything. We're not going to lock you into long-term contracts. Um, give us a try. And if you like what we do, we'll continue to do business with you. And and so far, it's been proven over my tenure that uh, 
Uh, once people start to use us, they like us and they continue. So thanks for the opportunity. It was great chatting with you guys. And uh, uh, hopefully uh, this will continue on down the road in season five, six, seven. We'll just keep on going. Thanks to you, Jay, for, for being our sponsor. I think the uh, having you supporting us has uh, given us the opportunity to bring in, you know, professional editing crew and, and invest in a, some of our own technology to make the show look that much better. So, um, no, I think it's a virtuous circle. Proud of you, perfect. So, thanks. Is retention important to your brokerage? Of course it is. That's why at IFS, we have a cancellation prevention process. Want more details? Give us a call. I know you don't always use a premium finance company, but when you do, you should use IFS. Cheers.